Hi, this is Adam Carolla. I want to thank you for supporting this podcast on the Corolla Digital Network. Everyone here at Corolla Digital is very proud of the shows that we put out every week and are excited about the future of our network. However, a patent troll is threatening that future by suing us. We need to fight back and beat the troll down. If we go down, all the other shows on the other networks you've grown to love are going to go down next. Visit fundanything.com forward slash patent troll to donate and find out other ways that you can help beat the patent trolls. Thank you and mahalo. This is Corolla Digital. Hey, you guys, it's me, Allison. I just want to say thank you so much for listening. If you like what you're hearing, which, let's face it, you do, tell a friend. You can listen to us all sorts of places. A couple of them would be iTunes or AllisonRosen.com. In 72 hours, you could have $35,000 to cover your needs. What would you do with that money? You could pay off high-rate credit cards, start a business, finally do that home improvement project, start your small business. With our sponsor, Prosper, it's never been easier. Just go online, answer a few questions, and see your low fixed rate in seconds. Your money hits your account in as few as three days. Prosper is the fastest-growing peer-to-peer lender, and they've facilitated over $1 billion in loans to people like you. Their revolutionary platform connects people looking to borrow money with those who have have money to invest. There's no outrageous fees, no raising interest rates, and you'll never set foot in a bank. Just go to prosper.com slash best friend to check your rate instantly without affecting your credit score. And for a limited time, Prosper is offering Allison Rosen as your new best friend listeners a $50 Visa prepaid gift card when you get a loan. So go to prosper.com slash best friend up to $35,000 in just three days and a $50 gift card. Go to prosper.com slash best friend. Uh, other restrictions apply. See site for details. Gift card is issued by Center State Bank of Florida, pursuant to license from Visa USA Inc. All personal loans are made by WebBank, a Utah chartered industrial bank member, FDIC, equal housing lender. Hey, everyone. Hi. Hello. It is me, Allison Rosen. Welcome to another episode of Allison Rosen is your new best friend. My guest today is the very beautiful Zena Musica. Am I, now, am I saying that right? You did so well. I'm impressed. This is the second time I've said it correctly. It's Z-H-E-N-A and then M-U-Z-Y-K-A. She is a, well, you're a CEO, well, essentially, right? And an inspirational author. And you created and founded and you're the empress of gypsy (laughs) tea company which everyone would recognize if they saw the can and uh yeah and you're neat you're all kinds of neat (laughs) thank you it's so great to be here and um i was hoping that you would be as lovely as you are on your podcast and i'm happy that you're not a monster you're the real thing so (laughs) have you met a lot of people who turn out to be monstrous who 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 present themselves as kind best friendly people um some people in some industries are more so than others i uh, entertainment i haven't had a ton of exposure but um so far everybody's been lovely but with you you're like a girlfriend doing like a girlfriend show so it's great that you're completely the same way off air as you are on air oh well thank you okay so now this your name is ukrainian 
Ukrainian gypsy. And you were born with a really cool name like that? I was. Actually, there's a chapter in the book about what a burden it was and a pain in the butt my whole life. And then um, it ended up being a huge asset when I went to start my business because my first name, Z-H-E-N-A, means uh, woman or wife. And then in Chinese, it means authenticity. And so perfect. <laughs> well, I'm named after my great aunt, Zena, who is actually queen of the gypsies in her village. And my mom added the H because she was a big Cher fan. And she, want- <laughs> she wanted me to be able to go by one name. That's perfect. Oh, my grandma was so upset that my mom had butchered, you know, this beautiful Ukrainian name with an H. So it's all in my book. It was actually a humorous thing. But it changed the meaning of the name um, in a really great way. So the book is Life by the Cup. And I was, yeah. I was starting to say to you right before we um, started that I have not had a chance to read the whole book. I was hoping to be able to read the whole book before I saw you, but I read the beginning and it's so well written. It's Thank so you. compelling. It's Thank like, you. it's almost like this is a, this is a big compliment. It's not for a second. It's not going to sound like one. So we're going to have to dip into where it doesn't feel like a compliment, <laughs> but it'll come out the other side. I can handle it. Recently on the Thursday edition of my show, I was explaining someone was like giving me shit for having formerly watched Keeping Up with the Kardashians. I was explaining there was a phase of my life where I watched Keeping Up with the Kardashians and Celebrity Rehab with Dr. Drew, and they were like, really? And I was saying that the thing about those shows is they were edited so well that by the end of each show, I felt like, oh, like I could be watching for, this is the part where it's dipping into not sounding like compliment, but don't worry, I'll bring it all around. (laughs) I could watch an episode and be like, not that into it. I could take it or leave it for 18 minutes or whatever. And then by the very end, I was like, oh my God, I simply cannot wait a whole nother week to find out what happens next. Mm -hmm. There's an element of that in this book in that the, it's so like the pacing and just the sense of anticipation I feel like I haven't felt that into a book in a really long time. Like I kind of was like, I wish I could just not go into work and just stay home and read the rest of this book. (laughs) Thank you. I appreciate it. How how did you do that? Okay, so when I started writing the book, I actually started writing a history of gypsies about my grandmother. And I kept ending up writing about the tea company and my experiences. And I realized I was like trying to have twins at the same time because creative processes are like that. And so I I met with um, a woman who's an editor in Ojai and she I call her my book shaman. And she basically said, you know, you're writing two books, just write the tea book. And how about you make the chapters, you know, short enough so people can sip them in the time it takes to have a cup of tea. And I thought, oh my God, that's brilliant. So when I went to write it, I I realized what drew me to tea was it's like making a potion. It's really magical. It's almost like, you know, white witchcraft where Mm -hmm. you get to make these healing potions. And my grandmother taught me it was the way of the gypsies and she was a healer. So I start each chapter with a very sensual description of actually one of the potions I created for the company. Then I go into the story behind it. Those were really painful to write because I had to relive all my hardship with my son and all the crap I went through, you know, trying to build a business with no money and having, you know, terrible credit score of like 300 (laughs) and, you know, no health insurance and and all of that. And so I – I wrote these really long, drawn-out, cathartic, you know, ranting, raving sort of <laughs> chapters. And then my book shaman came in, and she helped me cut them down and find just the key. Was that hard for you? Um, yeah, it was kind of like chopping off fingers and toes <laughs> at first because when you're writing, you're, you're very um, – 
you're on your own. And I write in a yurt. I have a yurt on my property in Ojai, and it's this round Mongolian tent thing. And and I was like, did it come with the house? <laughs> no, but you know what? It's so funny. My husband. Okay, so I was like. I got interviewed when the tea company grew. I got interviewed by Inc. Magazine, and they were like, well, how will you know when you're successful? And I was like, when I have a yurt. <laughs> I should have said, nice. I should have said when I have a yurt and a million dollars, but I forgot <laughs> that part. But so I, when I got the yurt, I knew it was time to sit down and write the book and stop. Sorry Running to get so stuck hard. on this. Can you no, buy okay. a prefabricated yurt? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I got mine from Pacific Costco Yurts. Or, oh, no, Paci- wow. Pacific Yurts is... It's like I'm living such a different life. Oh, yeah. A yurt-free existence. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, it's an amazing structure because it's like a tent. You can pick it up and move it, but it's a completely beautiful round structure. And there's something about a round space and being a woman. Mm-hmm. It just works really well. So I sat down in the yurt and I would just, you know, edit and edit and edit. And it took me three years to get this book in its current form. And then I um, was going to self-publish it, and an editor from Simon & Schuster from Atria read it, and she sent me a note, and she was Deepak Chopra's first editor, and I was like – she's like a legend in the publishing industry, and I didn't want to publish with a publisher, but as soon as I met her, I was like, oh my god, I wonder what we could do with the book. So she told me to put other women's lessons and other Mm -hmm. people's lessons in it, and then she asked me to create exercises for the reader – so that the chapter, you can read my story, but then you can go in and actually have the catharsis yourself very simply. And I felt like that really optimized and changed the book and made it so much more of service to the reader. So I'm really grateful. Um, why did you want to self-publish initially? Well, because I love the idea of being in charge <laughs> as an entrepreneur and a maverick and you know somebody who's very creative. I like the idea. When someone who doesn't like to ask for help. Too. Yeah. Well, you got that right. Yeah. And um, so I wanted to do it. And I thought also the tea is now in like 20,000 stores. So if I could just talk to my buyers who buy the tea and maybe ask them to carry the book, maybe they would be able to carry it. And so for me, it was it was a liberating experience to not have to think that I was writing f- and trying to be smart for a publisher. Because I think when I was – I had a big fancy agent before that and I was trying to be way, way, way too smart. It was like I felt like I had to impress her. Mm-hmm. Whereas when I decided to just let it go and self-publish, I wrote for my reader and I wrote from my heart. And I said, screw it. If I only sell one copy – I'm okay with it because there's no pressure. It's definitely more authentic. Yeah, and that was actually, you know, I'm going to write every book as if I'm self-publishing it moving forward because, you know, we go through a lot when we're writing because we're by ourselves and, you know, we never know how the reader is going to receive it. But like you said in the book, you received it in a way where you didn't want to put it down and that's how it felt writing it. I wanted my reader to have everything she needed to get through life and know that her dreams were possible. If I could do it with $6 and a sick baby and no health insurance, anyone could do anything. Now, do you specifically see women reading it more than men? You know, I do because I feel that women are, in the 21st century, I feel that women are stepping into roles of power more and finding more ways to follow their dreams and become more in charge of their destinies. And it used to be that, well, you know, I'm going to get married and have a baby and, you know, have this sort of life. And I kind of had that old-fashioned sense about me. Even though I went to an all-women's college and I was, you know, what I would call a feminist and I traveled around the world reading tarot cards and studying herbal medicine, I, you know, I really had this romantic sense that I was going to be taken care of by a man. And when I met my son's father, he was a lot older than me. He was a filmmaker. And I thought, oh, good. I can just relax and write my book about my grandma now. (laughs) And um, when Sage was born, you know, I realized that the rent was six months late. I hadn't been paying attention. The, um, you know, 
all of the utilities. I was fending off the utility man. All that was happening, and I realized, oh, my and God. And were you with that guy at that um, point? We were splitting up, but I was still living there because I didn't have any money. Uh-huh. And um, I realized – Looking around, I thought, oh, my God, like there's no one that's going to raise this baby and take charge and pay for things except for me. And I had to seriously have a talk with God and figure my stuff out. And that's when I decided to start my own company because I needed to have my son with me and because he had special needs for the first four years of his life. And no one would hire me with a baby in tow. And so what happened was the only option I had was to start my own company. And that's what I did. So I was um, – I actually had tears in my eyes when I was re- – and again, like I said, I've read the beginning, <laughs> uh, which adds this weird thing to all the questions since a lot of them I'm, – I'm going to be hearing a lot of this for the first time. But but so will the listeners. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, I was moved to tears when you were talking about calling your neighbor for and asking for help because you were nursing a baby and you had no food and like that was – can you talk about that? Oh, look, you know, yeah, there's no, tears in it's your just eyes. well, it it it's interesting because I, you know, with women, like there's kind of this myth that guys have a hard time asking for help, but okay, women, I'm seriously not going to cry. Like, I know. <laughs> <laughs> this is the first time there's this a lot happened. of happy in the book, um, but it does start out hard because it was a hard time. But when I got home from the hospital with Sage, um, I was starving, and um, it was. One of those moments where I thought, oh, my God, you know, it's not just me and my pride anymore. And my dad was like, man, he was the village strongman. He was a firefighter and he taught me to never, ever be a burden on anyone. And, you know, he basically the worst thing you could possibly do would be to ask for help or be – a ward of the state, you know, and need that whole help. like don't overstay your because I know well, people we're who immigrant. grew up with don't overstay your welcome, and exactly. it's just like it rules every aspect of their Absolutely. life. Absolutely, and and not only that, but we're an immigrant family. We're you know my family is concentration camp survivors, so they were just so grateful to be alive that they didn't want anyone to ever think that they were stepping on their soil and being a burden. So when I got home and it was raining and I was looking at the tubes, you know, going in and out of my baby and I thought, oh my God, like I have to get up and find some food. There's no food. And Sage's dad was, you know, gone. And um, so I called my neighbor and uh, I said, you know, she had this huge garden and this is where I realized, you know, pride can't feed a baby. And I called her and I asked her for help and she just jumped. She said, absolutely, I'll be right over. I, you know, She was Italian. She had lived in Italy for a long time. She said, I'm going to make some Italian lentil soup. And she came over with this huge pot of Italian lentil soup in her yellow poncho with this little – like this um, – you know, jar under her arm with this chamomile recipe that her, um, you know, grandmother in Rome had had used for digestion. And that's where that tea came from. But she sat down and she ended up becoming like my best friend. She helped me through everything. She ended up becoming my main investor in the beginning. She helped me follow my heart. And, and it turned out that that sort of sisterhood and friendship and fellowship was the thing that taught me that when we are giving and not being a burden on people, we're in control. But as soon as we need help, we and we have to ask for it and receive it, we realize we're out of control. Mm-hmm. So as as noble as it seems to not ask for help, it's actually us being a control freak in our own life. And I think the, and the part that really got me is that it's us being isolated as well. Absolutely. I remember someone, I think it was someone tweeted it to me. Mm-hmm. But what they said is, 
or maybe it was in a comment. It was some like social media way that it came to me. It may have been in a comment or maybe in a tweet, but it was um, someone said that their therapist told them that intimacy grows out of being vulnerable. So yeah. if you want intimacy, you have to be, you have to like tell your secrets, be vulnerable. And I was Absolutely. thought it was interesting to me that it was distilled into just that essence of like, tell so someone nice. a secret, you'll feel close to them. And then that's what I realized. Like the minute you tell someone something that you feel like you shouldn't be saying the mm-hmm. minute, and I'm not talking about the kind of secret where it's like, Oh, Hey, by the way, I think your friend's attractive. Don't, yeah, you know, yeah. don't, don't, no, but a don't deep, be mean, a deep something that you perhaps feel shame about or feel like I don't want this person to know this about me. And they react to you with either lack of judgment or love, which oftentimes I think are the same thing. It is. It's like, you feel so much closer to that person and just so much better. When we don't actually bond, like successes and when somebody's like at their peak and they're unstoppable, like, you know, like you can think about trying to feel close. How would it feel to try to be close with Donald Trump, for instance? Like it's kind of gross. <laughs> yeah. It's like it's like you wouldn't even – there's nothing yeah, there. there yeah. But if, if Donald actually talked about you know how scared he was that his beautiful wife might leave him for a younger man or something like – wouldn't you all of a sudden be like, oh my god, I can relate because yes. life is scary and we, we bond by our vulnerabilities. And when I was writing this book, I really didn't want to say any of that. I my first couple drafts were me being this cool businesswoman like oh yeah I figured out how to build a multimillion dollar business but you know I realized when I was working with my book shaman and we were coaching back and forth she was kind of like a therapist and she was getting down to the core of the story in each thing and it was it was how I triumphed over you know some of life's most basic how you know I learned to ask for help And then I found not only a dear friend but an investor who helped me build the company. I learned to follow my heart when it came to using organic products even though people couldn't taste the difference and the non-organic were so cheap. And a woman told me, but the organics, you know, the things that aren't made in the lab have sunshine in them. Mm-hmm. And and so I took the risk and I went for the higher cost organic products because in my heart I knew it was right. But I lost a round of investors over it. So all of those things that we have to do when we're following our dream are risky. Nothing is safe about following a dream. And so I thought, well, if I don't give my readers a roadmap and show them that it's okay and they can do it too and here's the tools, then I'll be doing a disservice. I'm, why write a book? I should just write a blog about how great I am. You know, <laughs> It's like it doesn't matter at that point. <laughs> so let's talk sort of about your story. Um, where did you grow up? I grew up in Lompoc, uh, California. It's not uh, – it, my grandparents came over from the Ukraine and their sponsors were the Bixby's who owned this big private beach ranch called Coho Halama. And it's right, the, because you had to have sponsors to get into this country yes, at that time. Yes, and the Ukrainians were um, – it's so interesting with what's happening with the Ukraine right now yeah. and the tragedy that just happened with the Malaysian Airlines. You know, th- my grandfather – escaped and my grandmother escaped the Ukraine because of Stalin and he had taken over the Ukraine. He was the head of Russia. He had taken it over and it was the same sort of tyranny and he forced famines on them. So my grandmother saw two of her siblings die of starvation. So they they were in Kharkiv. They got up and they walked all the way into Germany to try to just get away. They were trying to get into Poland. And um, right, because so, everything was going great in Poland. Oh <laughs> uh, well, you know it was it was an interesting thing. Is that my grandma said when they were walking from the Ukraine, there was actually planes dropping things saying that there was work in Germany for them. 
and to come to Germany. And as soon as they got there, they were thrown in concentration camps. Oh. And then the Americans came and liberated, and they all were set free. And my grandfather had been in there for the longest five years. He weighed 87 pounds when he got out. Which and, one were they in? Do you know? Um, Sachsen, Sachsenhausen. And it's kind of a lesser known one. Mm-hmm. But they ended up – It's like a sleeper camp. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so they ended up in DP camps. And then my grandfather, because the work he did for the U.S., he was a spy for them with the – he was a Ukrainian nationalist. They got this road, this this great deal to come to California. And so he farmed the land. My grandmother farmed. They were out. There's a big lighthouse out there. So I got to grow up in nature, you know, with wild pigs and deer and, and snakes and, and fishing and abalone diving and all of that kind of amazing nature kind of energy. Idyllic. Yeah, and kind of wild at the same time. And my grandma taught me there that herbs, you know, the the healer's way and the gypsy's way is basically wherever you land, you can learn from the plants there and you can heal your body and your mind. So that's that's how I learned the power of tea. Um, question about the sort of gypsy upbringing. Yeah. Um, is there anything, any sort of fear of really settling down and growing roots in the culture? No, not in, I mean, in our case. So the actual roaming part of the gypsy culture is um, is only like 3 or 5%. So there's a lot of myths around the actual Roma culture. And my family were in Kharkiv um, in a village. My great-great-grandfather was a fiddler, um, you know, really well-known um, violin player. His wife was a healer. An herbalist, and they used to travel around with the circus, the Moscow Circus. And then um, when they um, ended up, my great grandparents ended up in Kharkiv. They settled down, had families, and you know were basically farmers. And what I loved about the culture is, you know, they don't see any one country as their home; they see the whole world as their home. Mm-hmm. But they're usually, you know, really into building their community, and so. But they usually aren't welcome. So a lot of times they end up roaming. And the culture is is really exceptional and beautiful. It's not like the crappy, you know, bizarre, weird reality shows. shows. (laughs) I mean, honestly, I I look at those shows and I I don't recognize a thing. And eventually I'll write a book about gypsies and actually, you know, make it fun and interesting but real um, because all of that stuff is a falsehood. And the gypsy culture is so beautiful that we need to celebrate it. How do you feel about what's going on over there right now? Oh, it's... I mean, this plane that got shot down, I, I'm i sp- just so speechless. I mean, I I heard about, you know, I have a four-year-old daughter now, and I, anytime a child is hurt, I just come out of my skin, and I feel that the fact that these guys have weapons like this and can shoot down planes that are flying over of innocent people, I mean... It's hard for me not to go all Kali Durga, you know, the goddess of destruction, and be like, kill him! You know, it's like, it's right. hard because it's like these little kids, their lives were ended and their parents and all these innocent people. But when I breathe through it and I look at it, I say, you know, I, I don't know what the answer is, but I know that somebody, we have to end war. And I think if women were in charge, mm-hmm. honestly, this kind of stuff would not be going on. This whole, like, 
testosterone, adrenaline, fighting, you know, power, control, all this stuff has got to come to an end. It's happening in corporate America. They're doing it to our environment. They're doing it to each other. They're shooting each other. They're killing each other's families. Like, this has got to end. If you put women in charge of all these different countries and all the companies and actually had the way we're wired, not that guys are bad, but guys with too much power and too little training and consciousness are very dangerous Mm. because they're run by the lizard brain. They're run by the testosterone and the adrenaline that comes from an old model of fight or flight. And women are actually, you know, I saw it in the tea fields in Sri Lanka and India. They build schools. They build infrastructure. They they collaborate with each other. They want to know what everybody thinks so that they can go in and help everybody. And they instantly are focused on how are we going to make the world better for our children, whereas guys are how are we going to get more territory to protect ourselves because why? I mean, That's what? That's so interesting. There, why? That is that. That annexing territory to protect, like oh, needing control, more and control. more and more. Look at corporate protect. boards. Yeah. I mean, I mean, ninety-five percent of founders get kicked out of their companies within a year of raising professional equity. I didn't know that. Oh yeah, men, women, everybody. It's control. Everyone wants to control boards. They want to control companies. They want to control equity. They want to control resources. Control land. Love and control cannot coexist in the same environment at the same time. So we need to start seeing that there's a return on investment with love and building community and actually being proactive. I mean, look at our politics. I'm so embarrassed. But when you look at the female congresswomen who went in and got a budget deal finally passed, there's only 20 of them out of hundreds and hundreds of men. But they were able to get it done. That is the 21st century model. We need more women in charge in in positions of power so that we can start changing the way things work because this is obviously not working. Hmm. And that's one reason why I wrote my book primarily for women. Um, which college did you go to? Cotty College. I went to an all-women's college. It was funded by um, the PEO. It's an organization of women, philanthropic educational organization, and they are – there's 250,000 of them. They own the campus, and they give underserved women scholarships to go to college. I was the first woman in my family to go. My grandma was terrified. I was going – do you want to know a funny story? Yeah. <laughs> so my grandma is – you know, she's from the old country. She doesn't know, and – um you know, I come running home and I'm like, Grandma, Grandma, I got this scholarship to go to this all-women's college in the Midwest. Oh, you're this guy. She said, she was, oh, you go to college to become lesbian when you couldn't marry nice Ukrainian boy and have babies. And I, she was just like devastated because like for her, it was like breed or we might die. Like right, she didn't have to meet someone. Exactly. And I was like, oh my God, that's so funny. But I, I laugh it off now, but at the time, that was my role model. And I was like, oh, crap. Like, well, I'm going to go anyway. But it was the best experience of my life because when we got there, we had to take a vow to protect other women. And so I never – the whole competitive lizard brain kind of mm. like you know biological, like lower thinking thing never struck me because I was around women who are in full support. And I've been on book tour all over the country. And guess who's showing up? PEOs and Cotty graduates. Women from all over to support me and to show up. And and that is the kind of thing that women are capable of. And I believe that, you know, we're not an exclusive-minded, you know, we're not wired to be exclusive-minded. We're wired to be inclusive-minded. And that is um, what I think we need more of. So I actually made – so uh, when I lived in New York, my friend Corinne and I were walking around. And I made this kind of offhand comment saying something negative about sororities because I'm just, as a human being, I suppose I'm (laughs) anti-pan-Hellenic society. Um, And she got 
was like, I was in a sorority. Those are some of the nicest, like most helpful, thoughtful women that I've ever been around, blah, blah, blah. And really kind of went off on me for having said that. And it made me think maybe I did rush to judgment about that. Well, Although we, the vast majority of sororities, I'm still convinced are exactly like well, they well, are. I think, I think what you're seeing is um, how hard it is the how hard it is to get into a sorority and that they, they cut other people out. Yeah. So for me, I don't appreciate – that's not – I the wouldn't – exclusivity, yeah. right. But I was just in um, Tempe, Arizona doing a book signing and they – my publisher put me up in this hotel where they were having a sorority kind of reunion. And oh my god, like, you know, after my book signing I went and I was having a glass of wine in the in the bar outside and just the sisterhood and the bond and the energy was – it just – it just made me so joyful to see that all these generations of women were getting together and the theme was rising hope. And it was about, you know, how we can support each other. And so I think that the thing we don't like is the you get in and you don't. I don't right. like that either. And But the thing we do like is the sisterhood. So we can celebrate that. Right, right. So just a quick word about Blue Apron. Let's say you're a busy CEO. You don't have time to – and you, but you want to make dinner – or lunch, or what have you. Uh, you don't have time to go to the store and walk around and be like, oh, I know this is the recipe, but I don't know how much of this to get. I'm just going to buy more than I needed. Uh, Blue Apron makes it so easy for you because what they do is they, I love this company, they send you the exact ingredients measured in the exact amounts you need to make something delicious. And then they also send you this card that explains how to make it, the recipe, but there's all these pictures. So whether you're really good at cooking or maybe you're just starting, they it's like totally idiot proof. I know because I was able to do it. Uh, and it's just $9.99 a meal for all the ingredients sent right to your door in the right proportions, simple recipe instructions. Meals are 500 to 700 calories per serving, way too low for how delicious they are. And they have delicious stuff like maple and ginger glazed salmon with watercress, orange and parsnip salad, buttermilk fried chicken sliders with homemade pickles and coleslaw, uh, Asian chicken lettuce wraps. I could go on. It's all, your mouth should be watering right now. All super delicious. Cooking takes about half an hour. Shipping is always free and you can impress your friends if you decide to invite them over and share. So end the stress of cooking right now. Go to blueapron.com slash Allison and get your first two meals free. That's right. Two meals free just for going to blueapron.com slash Allison. Okay, so um, you talk a lot about your grandma. Was but your, was your was your mom around? Yeah, yeah, yeah. My mom's around, and um, it's you know my mom actually. It's funny because when I was little, she surrounded me with books, and she always said, you know, I have something. You, you're going to have something to do with books. I just intuitively <laughs> know it, and so now that my book is out, she read the manuscript before it was even edited. And I was supposed to – I coax her to come visit me. I live an hour and a half from her. Um, I coax her to come visit me with uh, sushi dinners because we have this great sushi restaurant. So I'll be like, Mom, I'll buy you sushi <laughs> and sake. And so she was like, all right, I'll come down. <laughs> so she um, came down and I handed her the manuscript. I, I said, oh, you know, here, you can have a copy. And she ended up going in Sage's room because he was having a sleepover at a friend's, closing the door and not leaving. She – I went in to get her for sushi, and she was like, "No, I need to. I need to continue reading." She read the whole book in one night. That's what I'm saying. It's hard she, to put down. But the amazing thing was, she said to me, "She said I saw you going through this from a distance, and as you know, you were my child, and it was really painful to see. But to see what you were really going through and how you um, were processing it taught me how how to process my own life. And I thought that." 
after that, it was like everything else was a bonus. You know, I helped heal a lot because my mom grew up in in um, foster homes and oh, wow. didn't really have you know a lot uh, as far as parenting goes and really tough childhood. So for me, I always feel like if I can help my mom have a better experience at her life, you know, things are great. And so the book really helped her. And she's been she's setting up a book signing party for me in my hometown right now, Aww. and she's so proud and amazing. So yeah, That's she was really around. Sweet. Have you guys always had a close relationship? No, not at all. Um, you know, in our family, like my mom, she had a lot of health problems and she got, you know, she had a really hard time after some surgeries, um, getting addicted to like pain pills and, and a lot of problems with that. And I always tried to save her, but couldn't. And so she had to come around on her own. How old were you when um, it started? It was, I was like about 16 to like 28, you know, it was, it was off and on, but it was really hard. And so as we've, as my brothers have been breeding and I've been breeding, all these grandkids coming into the world have given her such a, a sense. You know, I always say, like my friend Cynthia Kersey talks about how you have to find a purpose bigger than your pain. And, you know, my mom found that purpose with our, our kids. And so I think that, you know, with everything, you know, the parental relationship is always trying when you have a lot to learn from each other. Mm. But we're we're we couldn't be closer now. I mean, she's really. I I want her to live forever. <laughs> and your how many kids do you have? I have two. Sage is fourteen now. He's healthy. Oh wow! Yeah. yeah so you so I had gotten I got to the beginning of that part in the book. Um, Sage was born with kidney problems. Yeah, yeah, and um, it ended up being pretty drastic, and so he had to have several operations over the course of four years. And um, Dr. Churchill at UCLA, actually, I just heard he's not retired yet. Um, he was he saved Sage's life, and there's a chapter in here about letting um, people care for you in a way, you know, letting kindness in. And uh, that's often hard when we are going through hardship. We often get hard on the surface. And I, when Sage was going through his operation, the final one, the doctor said, you are not allowed to be in the hospital. I need you to walk, go get some fresh air, walk, be in nature. And I happened upon this little um, green tea shop, coffee or tea shop, and sat down and this young man just served me matcha after matcha after matcha. And matcha is this powdered Japanese green tea that's really high in an amino acid called L-theanine. And it actually soothes your soul. It actually opens your mind. They've done all these brain scan studies where it makes you function on so many more, um, you know, brain cells. You use so much more of your brain when you're drinking it. And this kid just nurtured me. And then I got up and I went back and Sage, his surgery went phenomenal. The reconstruction surgery was great. And it was just one of those things where I felt like that kindness actually helped Sage heal Mm -hmm. because I feel like we're all super connected. So, yeah, that was a big chapter in the book. You know, after many years, he he got healed. And then, um, you know, I started going to India and Sri Lanka and working with the tea workers. Was... Was it a birth defect or was there some yeah, kind of it was a it, birth defect? Yeah, and, and so what was it? What um, was well, the when I when I um, you know when I was pregnant, it was kind of like I had this vision. You know, I was living off the grid. I was this hippie girl. You know, and that's, had you dropped out of college? Or? Yeah, well, Cadi is a two year school, oh. so I got a scholarship to go to another all women's college. But instead, I fell in love, got married, divorced, went to Peru, studied and you were herbal in medicine. Twenties, right? I was twenty. Yeah, wow. <laughs> Um, went to Peru, studied herbal medicine, moved to northern Idaho to study medicine or herbs with my godmom, and then came back to help my mom. 
when she was going through her stuff. And then um, and then I got a grant, a creative writing grant to write the book about my gypsy grandmother. So I was living off of that. And I was living off the grid, you know, very hippie, growing a lot of our food, you know, doing everything, you know, solar and uh, so did I did. You have like super long hippie hair, just so I can. Oh my god! It. I will send you a photo. Okay. It was so <laughs> long. I envy my my old hair. But when I um when I had Sage, I, I didn't think anything of it. I thought, well, I'll just get a midwife. I'll have them at home. I don't need insurance. I, I'm you know I'm all natural. I'm vegan. <laughs> I can do whatever, and right. you don't need the man, yeah. helping you with this, yeah. And I was like, the I can, fig- I can figure this out. And then um, the birth didn't go as planned. Did and you then- have any prenatal, like traditional medicine? Yeah, 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 care? yeah. yeah. I, I paid out of pocket and had, um, you know, vitamins and all of that. And so when I, um, the doctor checked on Sage and said, you know what, I think you're going to have to have a hospital birth. And that was kind of the beginning of my wake up call, where I was like, oh. I'm not an independent creature. This kid is teaching me lessons. I've got it actually, you know. And so, what did the doctor see that made them realize? Um, they just uh, Sage had some trauma when I was in labor, and so uh, we had to get to a hospital. Oh, so oh, so you started the labor at home? Yeah, yeah. Wow. And so um, we had to get to the hospital, and then Sage was born. And then, did you know something? You know, was happening I that did. Wasn't right? I did once. He started crying like right when I got him home. He started crying like every day from like two to six or eight. And the only thing that could get him – that got him to stop crying was me dancing around the house. Like I danced around the house to Fleetwood Mac and the Gypsy Kings for like you know two, three weeks and I would take him to the doctor every day. And they would say, oh, it's colic and send me home. And then when I finally I, – I knew something was wrong and I kept going back, coming going back and – Finally, I told the doctor, I said, you know, I feel like my baby's going to die. And if you don't do a test, like this is going to be on your head. And that was really the first really empowered thing I had done since, you know, I got. Were they just trying to say, oh, it's just. Well, I didn't have insurance. Oh. So and so what happened is they did a blood test. And sure enough, he had a blood infection. He was having kidney failure. And then I got I tried to get on health insurance after Sage's initial operation. And uh, it turned out back then health insurance. You know, right. birth defects were pre-existing conditions. Can you imagine? I mean, it's- I mean, actually, I can because to me, it's so. I was thinking this is a huge change that I'm experiencing in my lifetime. All of a sudden, that pre-existing conditions are not a thing because for my whole oh life, my- it was always like you. If you think you have a thing, make sure you get your medical care before because yeah. once you're diagnosed with it, you you can't get yeah, insurance. But but the amazing thing is, our system was set up yeah. not for children but for profits, right? And, and not, not for mothers, really but for profits. So, so that's another thing that's changed. That's really good. And and so yeah. So, but when he got the surgery, he had special needs for four years, and I needed to make money. So I asked God. Literally had a conversation with God. Like, oh my God, what am I going to do? And I saw a gypsy tea party. I saw belly dancers, tea leaf readers, palm readers. I thought, oh my God, I can take my gypsy heritage, this book I'd been writing about my gypsy grandma and my love of herbs, and I can combine them and throw gypsy tea parties. So I started, and I threw the first one. And I'm having one next week in New York, and I'm really excited. But I threw the first one. 300 people came. My belly dance troupe came. All my friends, artists, musicians, everybody came to pitch in. I mean, at this point, were you like, oh, this is it? Or were you like, I hope I'm not. I was, every step of the the way was, well, as soon as I saw how much fun everyone was having, and the gypsy culture is about celebrating, celebrating differences, celebrating music, celebrating life, births, 
everything. They come to celebrate everything. And so I thought, oh, my God, I'm doing it. I'm bringing the gypsy culture into America. And I'm going to – and I'm selling these fun, wild blends that I came up with in my kitchen. And, like, the first gypsy tea party, like, 300 people came and made, like, $1,000. And that was the most money I'd seen in a <laughs> long time. And I was like, okay, I'm on to something. Were you so, – how were you making the money? Were you selling tea or were uh, yeah, you charging I made, or? Yeah, I made, I made a bunch of tea before and I sold it out. And then I started um, – so then the book gets interesting because I wrote a business plan where I wanted to open a gypsy tea room. I needed like $150,000 to do my business plan. All I could raise was $3,000 from my little brothers and my parents. Um, and – so I got a tea cart instead of a, a gypsy tea room, and I wheeled it into – I met these ladies. They said, oh, you can put your tea cart in our store. We love tea. So I wheeled it into their store. I put Sage in a baby carrier, and I just started making these tea blends off this cart, and eventually Sage outgrew the baby carrier. I started wholesaling, and now the product's in like 20,000 stores. How are you – oh, now. It took a long now, time. As, yeah. yeah. How did – you mentioned before that you had raised a bunch of money. I How did. did you I do did that because that seems like a hugely. Oh, and I know people who make films and yeah, raising financing. Well, it seems my like book's a hugely daunting thing. Yeah, the book's been optioned actually by Mark Wahlberg's production company. Oh, congrats! Um, thanks. Yeah, I hope That's they. Very cool. I hope they. I hope you do something with it. <laughs> well, <laughs> I hope you make a show out of it because it's super inspiring. But well, he is the number one listener of this podcast, so <laughs> I'm sure, sure that it'll be super effective. <laughs> Mark, so, come on, come on, Mark. We know you can do it. But what I found was, um, you know, through like, I was very fish out of water, but I didn't know what I didn't know yet. Oh, that can be a strength. It was. And so I was in New York raising capital from I was doing meeting after meeting after meeting, because as soon as we started growing, I mean, were you just like, I'm going to these people have money. I'm going to talk to them. How did you well, figure out who I, to talk well, to? Well, first I, I got um, friends and family and, and local investors, angel investors started investing because they started seeing what I was doing. And that's what I tell people who want to start a business and need financing. You can't actually get the financing always before you start. You have to have proof of concept. You have to show you've got the, the wherewithal to finish it. You have to show the passion and enthusiasm. So I, as soon as I learned that tea could end poverty for mothers in the tea fields, it was like game on. I was like, oh my God, we're saving the world. Like I went through this thing with my kid. Right, you had a greater you, purpose. Yeah. I'm like, you can fix this too. We're going to do this thing. And it's sexy because we're putting belly dancers in, in grocery stores nationwide. I had this silk gypsy tent and, <laughs> and it, you know, for orders over $500, I'd read their tarot cards. Like I was like completely having so much fun and it was so creative. And so everybody wanted, you know, a lot of people were interested in it. So I'd raise like $9,000 and $10,000, then $25,000, then $50,000. But were these, was this from? Angel investors. Okay. And so I'd present to people. Um, I would put out, like I would say, you know, I'm raising capital for my business. It's growing, you know, 300% a month or whatever. You know, when you start at zero, it's easy to grow triple, quadruple digits. <laughs> Just but, for, for the people who might not know, and I'm sort of one of them, even though I sort of understand it. Angel investors, are there people who are like on their business card, it would essentially say angel investors. They're well, known as angel investors. Well, or how does what, that work? What I did was I basically started letting people know that I was raising capital. And then investors would, you know, friends would say, oh, you know, I have a friend who's an investor who'd be interested in this. They like to invest in, in you know, healthy products. So, Are they expecting a return on that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, my <clears> God. <throat> definitely. And so at first I was raising very friendly money um, that was, you know, fairly easy. And then as we grew and the stakes got higher, um, 
it was, you know, more and more intense. And then I had the same angel investors for two for quite a few years, two main ones. And they would put money in every year when they saw our growth and the promise and how many stores were wanting the product. I mean, the product as soon as I found the mission of fair trade and dedicated the company to it, stores like Kroger and Wegmans and all these phenomenal stores, they jumped in because they were like, oh, my God, we want to help. It, it was a super cynical question. No, go ahead. Is that why or is it because that's a great marketing thing? I think – No, I'm not asking about your reasons. Well, the saying, buyer – I think it's yeah. – I think it's most – you know, back then – there were no 100% fair trade tea companies. There was no one doing what I was doing. Okay. So for me to say, here's some photos. I would go in and set up meetings with like the executive teams like at Kroger. Like King Super in Denver mm-hmm. was my first big along with Wegmans. I mean they were mass market and they saw – I showed them photos of the conventional fields and the organic, the non-fair trade and the fair trade. And I'm like, listen, we can – this is market driven. For every tin we sell of this, you know, we're going to grow this model over here where where mothers can care for their children. They're not starving. The kids have health care. And they were just like, oh, my God, like, we're in. Like, And that was so exciting for them. And then I think it's, you know, there are certain companies that do it because it's a trend. And then there's certain companies that do it because it's the right thing to do. And are either one of them wrong? You know, if people are doing yoga because they want to have a hot body, I mean, they're still getting the the benefit of a <laughs> right, spiritual practice. Right, the end result is the same. Exactly. Yeah. So I felt like, you know, we were changing the world. They were excited. And it was interesting because it was a lot of, you know, no one knew about my son's health. And so I would – I had to bring him to most of my meetings. And no one really knew what was up. And it was one day I told one of the buyers at Safeway what was happening and – that, you know, Sage had these problems and I had to pay off these enormous bills. And it turned out she'd been a single mom with four kids. And she was like, oh, well, let me make some calls. And it was like, bam, wildfire. All of a sudden it was like everybody wanted to help me. And that that to me is another thing when we started with the shame. You know, and so, yeah, I mean, these are big like kind of business theories, but they work in everyday life. You know, like – learning to listen to your heart even when your family and friends are telling you you're nuts, you know, um, learning that, you know, tough situations actually show your true character and that's the gift of the tough situation. You know, the fires that make the diamond of your of your soul mm-hmm. and your personality are actually the point. And resistance, coming up against resistance with others, that's actually – good if you if you don't come up against resistance it means it's not a good enough idea <laughs> yeah so, someone re- i mean this is not the same but similar i think um someone recently told me you know don't let negative tweets bum you out it just means you've expressed an opinion and i because re- i think that i i don't like a lot of blowback on you know, Twitter is is where it a lot hurts. of it. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. I don't like it when I feel like all I did was state my pretty benign opinion about something. Yes, I probably happen to disagree with Adam, and I happen to disagree, a lot of the fans disagree mm-hmm. with me because I think if they're conservative, I'm mm-hmm. not. I'm liberal, yeah, so yeah. a lot of times I get a lot of shit because yeah. of that, and I don't enjoy it necessarily because I'm not a hugely political person. Yeah, but there are certain things where I do I do say my opinion, or I just I don't even feel like it's like here's my opinion. I'm going to shove it in your face. Yeah. But whatever. But I realized, given that I would like to really kind of be the most authentic version of me 
on the mic Absolutely. and in my life, you have I be. should welcome that. I should, when I looked at it that way, that, oh, yeah, yeah. this is just a sign that I express an opinion, Absolutely. and that's good. Absolutely. Because when I think of who some of my heroes are, these are people who are so true to their art, even though I feel like probably 98% of what they get is negative. Absolutely. You know, and I mean, it is about embracing that. Well, I think, too, I mean, there's this, <laughs> my book's only been out for a few weeks, but there was this, uh, uh, I, I have all these great reviews and there was this one two-star review and I was like, oh, like, oh, you know, and I read it and it said, great book, love the cover, writing is fantastic, don't like the mixing of religions because I, I teach meditation in it. Oh. So I thought, I was like, oh, all right, cool. That's her opinion. That's awesome. Like, you know, it was as long as they state why. But I mean, in America, I mean, the freedom of speech and the freedom to show your, you know, to be liberal and have a conservative partner and actually talk about it. That's the point. Mm -hmm. And so the haters, you know, they can kiss your butt. (laughs) (laughs) Damn straight. So back to your son. Did he have tubes for most of his Early uh, life, or I know that the, 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 the yeah. surgery off they yeah. made a hole in his bladder yeah. to drain it. Is yeah, that what it was? I don't like to talk too much about it because he's now almost fifteen, okay. and he's like interested in girls, and <laughs> you know it's kind of a little bit intense, right? Um, but you know he is one hundred percent now, and that's honestly what matters. He's got his first job at my friend's restaurant in Ohio, Azu, Ohio. It's like the best restaurant there, and he's a busser, and he's. So learning about humility, like he jumps up after dinner and he's like bussing the tables. Like I don't even have to ask. Like it's amazing. Like he's understood. He watched me work for so long, but it was interesting. A lot of people ask me about balance with kids, right? Mm-hmm. And and businesses, and there was no balance. And I think balance is a joke, and it's a bad word. And <laughs> it's you know Elizabeth Gilbert is this amazing writer. She wrote Eat, Pray, Love, and she compares it with the new the old term perfection and balance. She goes, be careful with the word balance. But Sage used to walk around to all my employees. He had this little box. I found it the other day. It was called the Save Sage Fund, and it was a picture of a little stick figure with tears flying out of his face. Aww. And it was like, please save Sage. <laughs> and he would go around and ask for money and candy from everybody, <laughs> and I, unbeknownst to me, so that he could escape the the office where he had a pup tent and a lot of SpongeBob SquarePants. (laughs) But um, yeah, Sage is doing great now. He had a lot of stuff early on. And yeah, I think I'm 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 getting the sense that probably because I'm at the point of the book where yeah. you're talking a lot about it. That yeah. does not does that not continue? No, throughout? no, 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 right. no. I mean, what continues is that I actually realized that that happened to me so I could have compassion for the women in the tea fields. Because mm-hmm. what I found was that these women 9000 miles away were plucking our tea and people here are like, oh, they're drinking our tea and it's so healthy. But these women were actually only making a dollar thirty five a day and their infant mortality rates were around 50 yeah. percent. And I was like, oh, my God, as soon as I got over there and I met them, I and I talk a lot about that in the book about India and the poverty and all of that and how to find the light in it, I actually realized, oh, my God, this is my destiny. I was here to actually – I went through what I went through with Sage so that I could have an understanding of what these women would go through. So I felt that that was the lesson. And Sage then goes with me to Sri Lanka now and and works with the T-Kids. And we started – he's a tech kid and he does a lot of computer programming. So we refurbish old laptops and we get them to the kids over there. Oh, wow. And um, they, you know, exchange a lot of, um, you know, knowledge and information. And he's he's, um, a rock star. He's um, on Instagram, Sage the Boss, S-A-G-E-D-A-B-O-S-S. He's actually got an 
incredible eye. He's a phenomenal photographer, and he's photographed me in the tea field so many times. His photographs at age 12 were nationally published. Oh, wow. Yeah, in, in tea cool. and coffee journals. Yeah, so he's he's doing great. And the rest of the book actually, you know, talks about, you know, overcoming things and then meeting my husband and throwing, you know, my tea workers through my wedding for me in Sri Lanka. So we had a big, fat, Hindu, crazy wedding in a Lakshmi temple in the mountains. How did you guys meet? Um, I was serving tea at a Krishna Das concert, and he walked up to me and— Wait, at a what concert? Krishna Das, you know, the the guy who does the chanting. Mm -hmm. He's remarkable. And I was serving tea, and Gerard said, is this your company? I said, yeah. He goes, you're a marketing genius. And I was like, ooh. I was like, if guys, if you want, like, if you're interested in a woman who's an entrepreneur, like, that's the kind of talk to get her, you know, <laughs> hot. Yeah, exactly. The pantaloons. <laughs> exactly. So, um, so we grew our friendship for like a year and a half, and then um, Sage went on our second date. And uh, how old was he at that point? Uh, three and a half. And he went on our second date, and basically made him go kiss a security guard on the cheek at the Hollywood Bowl to prove his love for me. And then Sage was like, all right, you're picked. And, <laughs> and so they are, have been really a close match. And Gerard's, you know, he's put up with a lot with me traveling all over the world and working to save it and building businesses and all of that. So it's he's, you know, women find a guy who will let you, you know, follow your dream. It's really critical. What does he do? Um, he is writing. He's in transportation, green transportation. But that's kind of his, uh, his you know, awesome day job. But his he's really into writing young adult fantasy fiction. So as I've been learning the publishing world and now I'm working with my publisher to start a new imprint, um, of, you know, really great spiritual type books. Uh, And he has been working on this book every morning for the last seven years from like three, three to four in the morning to like seven, seven thirty, writing this crazy ass book about this kid, Theo, who falls into a, a painting and ends up like having to fight all these monsters. And it's all based on like Greek mythology. It's phenomenal. And it's almost done. It's like, a month away from being done. That's so. my husband also writes in the morning. Oh, He's really? super creative and but he works um in a he works in the film industry but in a job where he doesn't have time to write and yeah, and yeah. illustrate. He's also yeah. a really good illustrator and illustrator and all that. So he does it on his time which is super early in the morning which is, takes a lot of discipline. It does and we have to give up a lot of time with him. Yeah. Like for me, I want to stay up late and watch movies and drink wine and you know, cuddle and he's like got to be in bed by 8 or 9. And it's like – so I feel like a book widow and I, I've been like – the other day I was telling him, he was like, babe, can you please put Mia down? Because Mia's my four-year-old. We have a four-year-old together. She's like really – is having nightmares and wants to sleep with us. And so it's always like, oh, can you please put her down? I got to get up to write. And I'm like – the other day I said, can you please finish the damn book? <laughs> like, I, I want to like have a normal life. And then he's like, but it's a five-book series. I'm like, ah! <laughs> God, okay, this is our life. Like, wrap it up. <laughs> but, but, you know, I honestly, at a certain point in our relationship, he wasn't writing and all he talked about was writing. And I said, you know, you're going to, I need to be married to a man who's following his dream too. And I don't want to be married to a man who looks back on his life and has regret. So you need to get your ass up early in the morning and get it done and just write. And he's got this discipline now. And that's, I, I have a lot of respect for it. And he's so much happier because mm-hmm. he gets to have the day job, make the money, have the health insurance all of that but then he also gets to have his creative yeah it's like i'm relating so much to like everything you're saying even so when you just... move to ojai <laughs> right we can totally <laughs> we can out. be book widows <laughs> together <laughs> exactly exactly so now gypsy tea 
Do you still run the company? No, no. I left the company a year ago. Um, there's managers running it. I'm still a major shareholder, but I've been more focused on uh, coaching other women, holding events, traveling, and uh, writing. And my next book is uh, This is Life by the Cup. The next one's Business by the Cup. And it's a spiritual handbook for women at work. And it's basically because we show up with our hearts like, wah, and <laughs> we often don't know how to mix. You know, it was mm-hmm. like you were saying with the liberal and conservative, it's we take it personally. So I'm doing um, a book about a lot of it has to do with raising money. A lot of it has to do with, um, you know, navigating the world of business, understanding the ROI on love, the return on investment on love and all of that. So I'm, I'm working on that. And then I'm starting a publishing division in print at my publisher, which I'm very excited about. We'll I'm not supposed to be talking about it, but it'll come out next year. And I have some amazing authors, uh, women who have overcome insane odds, way bigger than mine, to be successful in their lives. And so I'm going to be focusing on those kinds of stories. Yeah. Well, let me ask – here's a, a, a question about women in a male-dominated workforce. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking about myself here. Yeah. So my husband is always saying – He's like, they are so fucking lucky. Excuse my language. No, it's okay. Because I really pretty much am just one of the guys. I roll with it. I don't ask to be treated differently or ask to be treated specially. I Good. don't I don't throw fits. I'm not a diva. Good. Good. I'm like waiting for someone to disagree around here. But, <laughs> but for the most part, I am. <laughs> but for the most part, and I think compared to people, to women that people would expect in this role, I really, I'm... Like in terms of if you were to rank all the personalities, you know, rolling around this place in terms of who's hard to get along with and demanding, I'm like very low on the list. Yeah. I think Adam made me move my car. He was like (laughs) incensed. He's like, who parked behind the Jaguar? And I'm like, ah, it was me. Well, that was, I think he actually needed, he needed to leave. I know. I'm teasing. I'm teasing. I was just just kidding because he's not here to defend himself. (laughs) Exactly. um, No, but I mean, of all the other people, you know, like I'm, I'm not second in line in terms of, of just (laughs) who's tough to like I I get along with everyone I'm I'm very easygoing but then things come up where I do need help with something and so is your advice for women in the workplace to be one of the guys or would you say no I think my advice for being in the workplace is to be honest about what you need to be successful and to you know women often will hide because they're embarrassed that they need help And that's where the resentment starts to build. Like for a long time, you know, my investors are in New York and they're like Wall Street guys. They didn't see my heart at all. Like they were distant. They only cared about, you know, you know, results, bottom line. It turns out they didn't only care about that, but we didn't have the right conversations. Mm -hmm. Um, And so what it really what it really is, is it's about being honest and being quick to, to ask and, and say what you need because the longer it festers, the more the split and resentment starts to grow. And women, um, you know, like I said, we have way – we're way more sensitive in so many ways. And instead of being embarrassed about that, you know, just saying, hey, you guys, you know, this – I really need help with this. This kind of stuff like hurts my feelings. Like I can't – you know, and just because guys, it's not that they don't care. It's that they don't know. Yeah, and that well, that I think, and that, I think that's the thing that that my husband is pointing out is of like yeah. the precedent. I mean, even something as small as like, could someone walk me to my car because yeah. it's yeah. real late and I feel a yeah. little skeeved out, yeah. but I don't w- want to admit that. But the, I don't know, you know, get over it, right? Yeah, but it's like, I, yeah, I think there's a precedent of me sort of not being a squeaky wheel, definitely. Um, but you know what? Be be honest. 
The funny thing, though, and now I'm revealing way too much, is that when it comes to this show, my show, mm-hmm. I am weirdly almost like a like like a mama bear, like very protective because yeah. this is like my it's this is baby. my my tea company. Absol- <laughs> so absolutely. I will fight for this show. But when, when it so it's so I'm kind of a different person regarding the the business of this show than me on Adam's show. I think mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. that's I don't have an ownership of yeah, it. You know, yeah. it's different. But you guys in on his show, if I may, you know, you guys balance each other out. You have great conversations. You actually you play off of each other and there's a synergy. You know, in relationships often, you know, there's there's two people and there's actually a third energy that gets formed out of the two people and that's the un kind of the unspoken vibe that people let off. And you guys have a phenomenal vibe, but you also understand that, you know, he's in the driver's seat and you're like, it's like you guys are going to a concert and you're in the passenger seat and he's driving. Cool. You get it. He's, you know, you, it's kind of like a marriage, you know, one person gets to be in charge of the radio part time. The other person gets to be in charge the other time. And with your show, like you said, Women tend to look at their businesses and their creative endeavors as babies because it is the same energy. Mm-hmm. The second chakra, you know, the, and, and I'm going to get a little esoteric, but that energy that is in our body, in our womb, that is actually where creativity is born. So you could be having babies or you could be birthing books. You could be having babies or you could be building a show or a business. It is the same exact energy. It's the creative force, the creative energy, whether it's biological or spiritual. So well, it is. Yeah, it's- it's very interesting because I'm able to speak out on be like internally on behalf of my show because it's not personal. It's mm. like I'm. It's as mm. if it's a baby that I'm protecting. Yes, exactly, exactly. It is a creative endeavor. I mean, it's personal, you, but it's not. I don't feel like it's. It's not definitely. Me. Yeah, I mean, I I don't necessarily always get along with the chairman of the board of the tea company, and I mean, I didn't talk to him for a whole year, and I had lunch with him last week. <laughs> it was that's in my next book, but <laughs> but you know, I respect the fact that we have differences. But what was interesting was that he said, you know, I've invested in a ton of companies, and I don't know why you act this way about yours. What does that mean? Like, well, it was just that I, I'm intense. I'm passionate. Yeah. I'm protective. Like, I, it's like, don't mess with my baby. And by the way, it's my name kind of thing. And, and I said, well, you know, for one, the company saved my son's life. So out of the gate, it's not a business. It's, it's, a, life, it's a lifeline, right? And number two, blending tea was how I talked to God. <laughs> I said, so for me, it's not a business. And that is what most women feel about mm-hmm. companies they create. And that is where we have to actually get comfortable understanding that we protect them like a baby, we raise them as we would a child, and that at a certain point, you know, we may feel comfortable leaving them or not. But collaboration for us and being part of the decision-making process, it would be just like, you know, you have a baby, you get divorced, but who's in charge of that baby? Oftentimes, it's the mom. See, the thing that irks me about (laughs) what he said is that I feel like a man in your position would be equally as aggressive or protective or whatever you were being that he mm-hmm. took issue with mm-hmm. it just maybe it would be more in the i'm doing this because of business as opposed to it's a, a per, i have a personal connection to it but i yeah. just yeah i think that's my sense yeah but but you know at the end of the day i looked at it and and we, i said you know i only want two things i want the company to be a legacy i want it to make a difference in the world and show people how business can be done in the right way and number two i want it to be abundant for everybody i want everybody to have 
wealth and abundance and prosperity from it. And then on those two points, it was like a hundred percent agreement. Everything else, you know, is just noise. So how do we make sure that that when we're dealing with men in businesses, when we're dealing with investors and board members and and customers sometimes and partners, um, how do we actually find what matters and just focus mostly on that? Because oftentimes, and in my book, The Pluck, The Positive, you're going to like this chapter. It's about how the tea workers have to pluck 16,000 tea leaves a day, and they have to be the best tea leaves on the top. And they're moving so fast. If they were to focus on the bad tea leaves underneath the top tea leaves in a bud, they would not get paid for their tea because it would be a rough plucking. Mm -hmm. If they're focused only on the best tea leaves, the positive, the best part of it, then they'll have a fine plucking, they'll get paid their money, and everything will be fine. If we focus on the differences and the problems and the challenges instead of what matters, that's where those will grow. Everything you pay attention to makes it grow. So if you focus on the negative, you're going to get more of that. If you focus on the positive, you're going to get more of that. So I have to – it's a practice of your brain to retrain it to consistently and always go toward what's right in a situation, what matters in a situation, and leave the other crap be. Just let it be because it will fade away if you let it go. Yeah. I mean and how do you choose which battles to – Fight. <laughs> well, I fight a lot with particular, you know, just with this guy in my life. It's like we have some sort of karma. But what what it is is, you know, I've had to really over the last year choose my battles, and and also with like my four year old daughter. When you meet her, oh my god, she goes to school in a cape and has a sword collection. Oh. Just saying. <laughs> um, but you know, you you do have to actually just learn and have compassion towards yourself because oftentimes you don't know what battles to fight until you start fighting them. Right. And then it's like, oh, okay, we don't go there. <laughs> you know, it's like if I went out and you know did some, you know, there's definitely it's kind of like being married. You know where you can push and you know where you shouldn't push and. You just find out by trying and by, you know, going into it and then you learn. Another sort of gendery thing is I find myself oftentimes telling myself, try to get your way, let the person keep their pride. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. No, like it does. in that's the situation yeah, that's where really... I'm right, but I don't need to drive that point home. It's like yeah. I'm getting what I want, just let it go. But I wonder, do men have that? I mean, do, are men That's, thinking in that know, way my, too? My husband is that way and um, you know, he doesn't – like I tend to say, but they need to understand <laughs> what's right and what's wrong. And, and you know, I'm really immature in that sense and I'm still learning, thank God, for my meditation practice. Otherwise, you know, who knows? But I always want somebody to understand every point of view to the point of my own demise mm-hmm. in some instances where it's like, okay, well, we don't agree on that. But if you can just see what I see, then the world is going to be a better place. Whereas sometimes you have to just say, okay, you see it that way. I see it this way. As long as I'm not being hurt or something's not being hurt, we're going to be fine. I tend to go in and want everybody to kumbaya. <laughs> like I want everybody to see every point of view so that we can all learn and all be one big happy family. And that that often has backfired on me. Yeah. <laughs> You know what would never backfire on you? Awkward segue. Um, Grays. So Grays snacks. Gary, have you gotten into the Grays? I have. It's really so good stuff. So good. I was yeah. So Grays, they send you this snack box that has four different snacks in it. You you can choose either the nibble box or you can choose like a low cal version. 
uh, where each snack they send you will be under 150 calories. They have this website where they have pictures of each delicious snack. They have sweet, savory, all different kinds of combinations, um, and like these big, beautiful pictures of each snack. And then you can either either you can choose trash, like I don't ever want to get this again, or you can choose try if you're like, ooh, that looks good, or like or love. And so you you know if you choose if you don't want it, they won't send it to you. You can select which things they will send. And I was thinking, I think the perfect thing about it for people who enjoy grazing, like the name, or just snacking, is each snack is in its its single serving size already. It's my favorite thing about it. It's like it, it prevents the whole like, oh, I'm going to have a few Cheez-Its, but Binge. there's a whole bag right there. <laughs> right. Like, it, it's, it's really nice. That's my favorite thing about it. But the weird thing about it is that it, you know, I think a lot of us, the problem is that an actual serving size doesn't feel like enough. But it does with Grey's. But with Grey's, it does. And I think it could be because of the packaging. Because it comes in this little it's, – it's translucent. You see everything you're going to get. I was just thinking about it. Like imagine if, if it came in a little bag that was opaque, you would think that it's not enough. But for some reason with this, it totally is. I don't know what it is, but it actually is enough. I'm pretty excited every time I get my Grey's box. You guys can be excited too. So it's Grey's.com. Go to Grey's.com. And get your first box free by using the code BESTFRIEND. Again, that's graze.com, G-R-A-Z-E.com, and enter the code BESTFRIEND. And their in-house nutritionists make sure every snack has a benefit for you, whether it be essential vitamins and minerals or a source of protein. Just a few of the things that they have are uh, chili and honey almonds, whole grain banana shortbread dippers with caramel sauce, um, Caramel. I never know whether to go caramel or caramel or to kind of split the difference, which I just did. But anyway, it's all so good. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm particularly fond of all their various nut blends, but also the sweet stuff, too. I had dried lingonberries yesterday. You don't find a lot of lingonberries. So anyway, go to graze.com, code best friend. Okay, let's do some just me or everyone. Sometimes I ponder on something. All right. We were also going to – you were going to read my cards. I've had my tarot cards read like once or twice in my whole life, um, which I think but – it, but it could be fun even though um, – Sort of dubious of everything, but I'm in. Oh wait, but but I'm I'm narcissistic enough that I'm like, yes, let's. I want to hear about me. Well, so what you want to do is you want to shuffle, and in my next book, the business book for women, I'm making my own set of tarot cards. Oh, that's smart. I rebranding. Yeah. Well, and I use them to make decisions, and you know, a lot of people. Think, I use a magic eight ball. Yeah. Well, you know what I do, but it's kind of simple. It's a little too simple. Where it's like, okay, yeah, maybe, yeah, but who's Ask involved? Again later. And, yeah, exactly. But. For me, I love the um, decision-making um, aspect of it, and I love the fact that, um, you know, it's not me talking. It's actually the cards, which are interesting and illuminating. So I'm not going to do it. be funny if the cards all said things that you want, like, oh, you got the take out the trash card. <laughs> okay, so you are feeling guilty about something, and um, but you have a tremendous amount of abundance and joy and wonderful things happening around you. But it's kind of like the more good things happen around you, the more you feel kind of bad. It's almost like you have survivor's guilt for being successful. Does that ring a bell? Yes. Um, The overlying situation is that your life is full of possibilities and you're becoming aware of new possibilities and new partnerships are coming in, new friendships, new, um, God, people want 
a, a piece lot. Of to, yeah, they want a piece of you. And I was just thinking, you know, when you were talking about your sponsors, like you have cool sponsors. Like you're not selling crap on the show. Like it's actually it's good stuff. You are in a great position. That's why people love you. You have this is one of the best readings I've ever seen, by the way. You basically, Thank you. you basically. So the situation card is that you're feeling guilty for all the wonderful things that happened to you, and the possibilities are endless. You have an immense amount of opportunity coming to you. All all these new people and friends, you're becoming aware of new opportunities and a new level of spirituality. Um, the next two to six weeks are going to be um, you needing to slow down a bit and relax more. Um, go to the spa, put your feet up. Don't feel guilty for taking care of your body. Self care is the new bottom line girl and especially for successful women the more you care for yourself I know it seems anti-intuitive but the more you care for yourself the more you're going to be able to give to others especially with everything that's going on um your um the card that you got is that, um, you know, it's the creator card. It's God. God's on your side. Like, you have nothing to worry about. You com- you're completely guided by God and all the right intentions. You have nothing to feel bad about. The next card is a new vision for your life. So you're actually in an environment where you're building a new vision for your life. You know, you just got married. Things are happening. You guys are maybe thinking about a family. All of that's coming up. And so all of that is is exactly where you're supposed to be because it's completely guided by God and all these great possibilities. Now, you in the situation, you're just looking for guidance. You're just looking for a clue. You're looking for somebody to come in and say, okay, here's what you should do. And um, so all you need to do, the outcome card is going with the flow relaxing more. I love that there's a going with the flow card. That's your outcome card. You actually relaxing more, worrying less, swimming, nature, relax, more, more time to zone out. Like that is of utmost importance that a lot of people don't give themselves. You know, just I go down to the yurt, I lay on the futon, I stare up at the ceiling fan sometimes for like an hour. And then all of a sudden I'm like, oh, I'm like, you know, all my life is renewed. Like, everything's great. And it's just the time to actually be. You know, we're always so busy doing, mm-hmm. doing, doing. Multitasking. Yeah. And and in this stage in your life, you are being asked to slow down and to have a new vision of what your life could look like. Shape it the way you want it for self-care and don't feel guilty about it. That's That's the situation card. Let go of the guilt. And every time the guilt comes up, come up with a mantra. So maybe the mantra for you, there's a ton of mantras in the book, um, the mantras of the cup. So when you're having your morning cup of tea or coffee, just, just say, you know, um, uh, self-care is, is, you know, let's see, currency. Self-care is gold. Like, you know, whatever it's going to be, come up with something where it's like, you know, I care for myself and therefore I care for others. You know, something where you can remind yourself on an ongoing basis, retrain your brain to focus on it's good to care and slow down for yourself and zone out and go with the flow. Got it? Yes. Thank you so much. Hopefully that was helpful. That was totally helpful. I mean, I think the thing that gets me is, and I know that you caught the tail end of the Adam Carolla show where I was almost, you know, in a very elliptical way talking about this. It's like there are situations where I know where I'm upset with someone and I know that that person is upset with me and I know why they're hurt and I want to fix that. Like someone's hurt. I want to fix that. Mm -hmm. I want to go to them. I want to save them. Mm -hmm. But I don't agree with their version of reality or their narrative of what happened. And like for my own preservation, I need to not do that. But I've been programmed my whole life to try to save 
yeah. people. Yeah, definitely. So well, it's like it, the, the guilt comes from I'm not doing this thing that from the time I was put on this earth I have done, yeah. which is essentially yeah. be codependent. Definitely. But so so that's how we're all wired as women too. And, um, you know, you know, I come from a, a Jewish gypsy family where it was like, oh, my God, if you have something and they don't, you have to give it to them. And it's like, oh, my God, don't you dare do better than your neighbor right. because it, they might be sad if you're doing good. So well, not you, only that, I don't know if you have this in your family, but in mine, it's like if you stand out, you're a target. Oh, exactly. Definitely. Yeah, and exactly. Safety, safety, safety is the – I Absolutely. think that's a survivor Absolutely. sort of immigrant thing Agreed. of like Absolutely. assimilate, don't stand out, don't exactly. make yourself a target exactly. again. And so in those situations, when somebody – hurt and you want them to feel better, you can say, you know, um, uh, I, I really, you know, take a deep breath and say, you know, I care so much about how you feel. Um, and, you know, I'm here for you if you want to talk it through. And then the ball's in their court. And from there, you have to literally just make a space for it, allow them to come to you and then let it go. Because it's the it's the guilt and the power struggle because oftentimes when somebody's feeling bad and they don't come to you to actually like clear the air, it's oftentimes they need you to feel bad. Yeah. And that's their point. So sometimes by them making you feel bad, they're playing the role they played as a kid with one yeah. of their parents. You're playing the role you 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 know were born into <laughs> that you were trained to do is is to feel bad. So then all of a sudden everybody ends up drained and it's very unproductive. Yeah. So the thing you want to do is make a space for them to come to you, talk it through. Say my intention is that our relationship is is solid and healthy and wonderful. I care about you. And when you you know if you want to talk through talk it through, let's do it. But at this point, you know I you know until you're ready to do that, I've got to keep going with my life. Yeah. So. I know it's hard. It's an exercise. All right. Let's do just me or everyone. Megan says, scale at doctors always measures five pounds heavier than home scale. What the fuck? Where is the truth? (laughs) Just me or everyone choose to believe home scale. Um, I don't weigh myself at the doctor's office enough to know whether that one's heavier than my home scale. But I do go nuts thinking that there's something wrong with my home scale. It's broken. And then I'll take Daniel's weights where I actually know, oh, this is 20 pounds and I'll put it on and I'll be like, oh, it's correct. So I (laughs) go all sorts. Actually, I'm trying a new thing, which is I'm trying to only weigh myself once a week as opposed to multiple times a day. (laughs) Well, I do the thing where I weigh myself multiple times a day and then I'm like, oh, I don't even want to see the scale and I put it under the bed for a few days. And then when I'm like brave enough, I take it out. I'm trying to end that insanity by just weighing myself once a week. I don't know if it's going to work or not. We'll see. Um, but anyway, I feel like it doesn't really matter what the doctors versus yours says. The whole thing is just if it's on, you you know how you're trending if it's on the same scale. (laughs) Donna M. Martin says, Donna M. Martin, wasn't that the name of the character on 90210? When the date is written 8 slash 22 slash 2014 instead of August 22nd, 2014, I sometimes forget which month is the 8th one, just me or everyone. Well, that is because in Europe they flip it. Yeah. I'm going to guess that's In Asia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you not seen that, Gary? No, I've seen that. But what, is that, what does that have to do with oh! her not associating what number each month goes with? Right. I misinterpreted. I thought she forgot which was the month and which was the, um, the uh, no, day. No, I think that's why she used the 22nd. Because yes. I've had that thing where it's like, you know, if it's 6, Five, 9, four, 2014, yeah. then that's confusing. But she's right. saying she forgets the month number yes. associations. I have that where sometimes I f- forget which one the ninth and 10th is. Like, I'll think the ninth is October. 
Oh, I just realized why. It's because someone close to me, their birthday is October 9th. Oh, there you go. No, October this one, this does not never... feel like it should be the 10th for me. It should be very 9th. This one's never happened to me. I don't know. <laughs> Zena? I honestly... I have, have them one? pretty memorized because, you know, I numbers were pretty important in business. So yeah. I had to, like, figure it out fast. That's good. Just Dawn says, wonder if guys who spit sunflower seed shells into a urinal think those shells are actually go- actually going anywhere. Have you seen a lot of sunflower seeds in urinals, Kaylin Gary? It happens. It's, I, I haven't. It's mostly, like, sporting events. And the holes in the bottom of the urinal aren't no. big enough to accept the seeds? No. Not typically. All right. Marvin <laughs> Aroliga says, just mirror everyone, when there's a fake news channel in a movie show video game, I always check the stories and the ticker. I do too. They're, and they're always amusing. And they're always that. going too fast. I'm like, wait, wait, wait. Come back. <laughs> um, did you guys see that movie in a world? Not yet. With, with Lake Bell, who's been a guest on this show. Really funny movie. And it, she's reading a magazine at one point, And all the – so it's like a women's magazine. And all the articles that are teased on the front of the women's magazines are really funny. It's like yeah. eight hot numbers. <laughs> I've recently been rewatching Arrested Development. And they do a lot of that. That's really, really funny. Yeah. <laughs> Kristen Marie says, just me or everyone, frequently freak out when I see a bug on the wall or floor in my peripheral vision only to realize there's nothing really there. Yeah, I, I – do that too. Not necessarily with a bug, but I'll think I see things and jump. Anyone else? Yeah, sometimes. Um, but I don't know. Ever seen a bug that isn't there in your yurt? Oh, yeah. No, we have real bugs in the <laughs> yurt. <laughs> There's so many bugs in the yurt. Ohio is full of bugs. <laughs> you seem like a nature lover. How do you deal with bugs? Because bugs are number one reason I. Well, can't, it depends. It, it depends on how fast they move, and I tend to uh, put a cup upside down and then save it for my daughter to mess with because she is like this little wild child, and so sometimes she'll kill them, sometimes she'll take them outside, sometimes she'll stick a pen in them. You know, it's she's really more like she's very scientific, right? So yeah, I use them for entertaining my kid. Is that bad? <laughs> I mean, I feel like don't tell the bugs that, but I'm okay with that. Although I did have this whole train of thought the other day, which was, it's weird how okay I am with just, I actually don't ever do the clap and kill a bug thing, but it's like, we're all so okay with that. I've been feeling, so I eat meat, but I've been, please don't send me anything. I don't want to see people listening. I've been feeling Actually, guilt. Speaking of guilt, mm-hmm. I've been feeling guilt over that lately. Mm-hmm. Just thinking about how okay I am with eating meat, even though yeah. I'm not okay with anything. Like, yeah. I have a dog that I love, and anytime I see a news story about someone hurting a dog, it just yeah. Maybe it's because I'm I'm trying to get pregnant. I don't know yeah. what it is, but it just like it just guts me. Well, the idea of people the quality, anyone hurting yeah, a little thing. The quality thing. of meat, and I was vegan for 13 years, and now I eat grass fed steak like maybe once a week maybe just because I get so anemic mm-hmm. but I've started um, taking more and more spirulina so I'm I'm not even craving meat anymore again and so I think it's just a matter of the mindfulness and making sure it's high quality grass fed without hormones that is the key yeah. and that it was you know if you have to eat meat make sure it's killed humanely and that it's raised without a lot of chemicals but I just I was thinking it's interesting that we are all so super cool with just killing bugs but we wouldn't want to watch an animal be slaughtered. Yeah. But bugs yeah. are animals. I mean, they are living. Be careful. Like, you're turning Buddhist. I know. I know. <laughs> That's what I started thinking. I started thinking, you know, it's really. Good. It's consciousness. I mean, you're every, aware. You're aware. These are like, 
Well, yeah, there's well, life and in you every actually, little thing. And you also take whatever whatever energy the animal was feeling when you ate it, you take that in. Like everything, you know, I mean, broccoli doesn't necessarily scream, right? So the more you can eat of natural foods that don't have an impact like that, the better your energy is going to be, mm-hmm. especially thinking about having a family and all yeah. of that. You're, you're just cleansing. Okay, great. Z Train says, hate when someone has a voicemail message that sounds like they are answering. So I say hello to a recording. Do people still have those? Because yeah. I always, always fall for them. I do every time. I have the same girl who has the same one, and I fall for it every time. I forget. She's like, yeah. hi. I'm like, hi. <laughs> and then, I yeah, so I just feel like for the person who has that, how fun is it really to have a whole bunch of voicemails where the person is like laughing and kind of embarrassed? It's probably fun. <laughs> B Slammon says, I prefer a little heft on my dining utensils. No malleable or plastic waste of my t- no malleable or plastic waste of my time, please. Just me or everyone. I'm trying to think if I have I wouldn't have thought I have a lot of opinions about my dining utensils, yet Daniel and I, having come together, have there's more than one type of fork in our drawer, and I certainly have preferences. So Definitely. I guess I do, yeah. Sean Daigle says, do any dudes still – ooh, this is a question for the men. Do any dudes still wear tidy whities other than in the movies? I think it's a thing of the past now unless in a comedy movie. Have you guys seen tidy whities or do you wear them? Uh, No, I don't. And I don't see a lot of dudes that often. So, yeah, I don't see a lot <laughs> my of – My son doesn't wear them and my husband doesn't wear them. I see. I would have thought men still wear them. My no, why? Them. I just would have. I don't. Boxer I just thought briefs, it was in... when boxer briefs came around. That was that. It took the place of. Yeah. <laughs> I think so. But don't you guys care about gravity? Boxer briefs do Eventually. the same. Do the same job in the gravity department, and you don't look like as big of a dick. Uh-huh. <laughs> Got it. I, Meaning no, they no hold everything. In, no pun intended. Right. Right. That, was not, in that was not a dick joke. I just you don't look like an asshole. In my opinion, with the boxer brief style, and it still gives you the same support. Gotcha. David Fletcher. Does anyone actually wear boxers, though? Are those that popular? Or are boxer briefs just kind of ubiquitous at this point? I think they're ubiquitous. Kalen just checked what he was wearing, for the record. (laughs) He just lifted up his shirt and pulled his... Well, Well, I wear boxers. I haven't... checked to see what I was wearing today. Yeah, I haven't worn boxers in a long time. But I think that... I think boxer briefs then boxers and then way down the list is tidy whities so kaylin <laughs> do you sometimes wear boxer briefs and sometimes wear boxers yes how do you decide which whichever one is nearest to my hand you're not more you don't you're not in a mood for one more one day or the other no, i don't really care that much interesting <laughs> if it were me i would i would want to start out like equal number of each i don't care and then i would just veer towards one i think it's no, just how i am i, I don't care all right <laughs> Very relaxed. David Fletcher says, and this is the last one, just me or everyone, when I hear the song at the end, I get pissed about that listener that said it was the height of narcissism. I do too. Okay, so there's a song that plays at the end of the show, and it's like two and a half minutes, and someone said, someone wrote in and claimed that it was the height of narcissism to expect listeners to listen to the song. <laughs> and I'm like, can't they turn it off? Yes. It's the height of narcissism to think that... That you we expect should change them, that, or that you expect them to right. listen to it. <laughs> and as I explained, these songs came to the show when I was doing it in as a uh, show in my living room on UStream in my apartment in Brooklyn. And a fan who's a super talented musician made these songs, and so we used to play it, and it was like part of the show. And then when I developed it into a podcast, I didn't go back to him and say, "Hey, make shorter songs," because I thought these are great. So you know what that guy can do, Gary? (laughs) 
Hey, 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 go fuck yourself. That's right. He made that too. And that is a special ringtone. You can get that by searching Hey, Go Fuck Yourself on your iPhone in the iTunes store. We also have two bonus episodes available while you're there, recorded live at the LA Podcast Festival, one with Doug Benson and Greg Proops, the other with Doug Benson and much of the Thursday gang. And those are $1.99 in the comedy album section of the iTunes store. Thank you so much for being on my show. Oh my it was God, so Allison, great was talking with you. Yeah, definitely. So everyone go out and get Life by the Cup by Zena Music. It's Musica? Musica. Musica. Mm-hmm. So now I have said it wrong no, twice. Okay. No, Zena Musica, yeah. right? Okay, nice. yeah. Um, go get it. It's you won't be able to put it down. And uh, hey, if you're gonna buy it on Amazon, click the banner on my website, AllisonRosen.com. It doesn't cost anything extra, but it does help out the show quite a bit. Um, and tell everyone where they can find you. Um, they can find me at Zena.tv, Z-H-E-N-A.tv, and the T's are at Z-H-E-N-A-S.com. Okay, and are you you're on Twitter, right? Yeah, at Mistress of T, and on Facebook at Z H E N A. Okay, and you can follow me on Twitter at Allison Rosen. You can follow the show's Twitter feed at A R I Y M B F. You can follow Gary on Twitter at Oh my God, G Patrick Smith. That's the first time in three years you've ever done that. I know that was the weirdest thing. Did I get it right though? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> because I was already thinking about how I'm going to say, and Kaylin still doesn't have a Twitter presence. Or no. so, I don't know what happened. It just that was the weirdest brain fart. That that is very weird. It's what does the, it mean? I'd like to know how many episodes it's been. That's it's got to be a couple hundred episodes. I know. Anyway, at G Patrick Smith and Kaylin, there's still nothing, right? Yeah, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you guys so much for listening. I love you. Goodbye. Hey, do you know about the Allison Rosen show?
Trauma Digital. Thanks for listening to the show, everyone. Just as a reminder, this episode is brought to you by NoNo. To get your NoNo and take advantage of the exclusive offer for my listeners, go to nonobestfriend.com or call 800-508-4815. That's nonobestfriend.com or call 800-508-4815. Now that the show's over, don't forget to check out Blue Apron. Blue Apron sends gourmet recipes and all the fresh ingredients you need to make them right to your door. Go to blueapron.com and see what's on the menu this week. To get your first two meals free, make sure to go to blueapron.com slash allison. That's blueapron.com slash allison.